Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? 
And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thanks, Christy. Um, We're not going to try and cover the whole passage. We are going to focus on verses 1 to 12, but I, I feel like it holds together that whole section and worth um, reading and hearing. Let me pray for us as we come to look at God's word. Father, we thank you for the, the amazing privilege we have this morning to be sitting together as your people, gathering around your word, that we can have your word in our hands, in our own language. And we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit who caused these words to be written all these years ago and who is now present with us to help us understand and take these words to heart, put them into practice in our lives. We pray that you would help us to do that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Who do you fear? Who do you fear? Or you could ask, whose approval do you seek? the most, whose disapproval matters most to you. This passage, verses 1 to 12, in fact, I think verses 1 to 34, is all about the fear of the Lord. It concerns what we care about most. Do we care about God's approval? Is that what is most important to us? Or do we care more about our reputation with other people? Do we care about the things of God, his glory, his kingdom? Or do we care more about our material comforts and prosperity? To fear God is to revere him, to stand in awe of him. When you fear God, it means that he is big in your life, big in your mind, big in your heart. He has significant influence on your decisions and your priorities. Ed Welsh has written a great book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's all about the fear of man and people-pleasing. And I think that that title is brilliant because it captures the problem, doesn't it? When other people are big in your life and what they think of you and what they say about you is what really matters and what God thinks of you is relatively small and unimportant. And Ed Welsh says, well, the solution is to cultivate the fear of the Lord. For us to give God his rightful place in our lives. For God and his opinion of us and his love for us and his call on our lives to be the dominant influence in our hearts. So in this passage, Jesus calls his followers to fear the Lord. It's the theme throughout this whole section and it's there as a command in verse 5. Uh, Look down again, verse verse 4. In fact, uh, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
In this section of Luke, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he keeps telling his disciples that in Jerusalem, he's going to suffer, he's going to be killed, and on the third day, rise again. And we've seen that it's through his death and resurrection that he will accomplish the true exodus, the true and better rescue. He will rescue his people, not just from slavery in Egypt, but from sin and death. And he will lead his people into the promised land of the new creation. And the question through this second half of Luke is, as Jesus walks resolutely to Jerusalem, will we follow him? Will we listen to him? Remember that voice from the cloud at the transfiguration? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Will we take his words into our hearts and hold on to them and treasure them and put them into practice in our lives so that we bear fruit, so that we're good soil, bearing fruit for God's glory? On the final day when Jesus returns and judges the world, will we be acknowledged as true followers of Jesus or will we be revealed as hypocrites? As I said, the big theme in this section is the fear of the Lord. And I reckon the passage shows us what it looks like to fear the Lord. Four marks of the person who fears the Lord. And this is 1 to 34, but we're only going to cover the first two. But uh, four marks of the person who fears the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you'll put away play acting. And you'll confess Christ courageously. And you'll get rid of greed and you'll have a concern for God's kingdom. You'll put away play acting. You'll confess Christ courageously. You'll get rid of greed. You'll have a concern for God's kingdom. We're only going to cover the first two, verses 1 to 12. But let me encourage you over the next week to, to give some time to look through the rest of the passage, and particularly within that theme of the fear of the Lord. So point one, put away play acting. Verses 1 to 3. Let me read that again. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy really means play acting. Jesus is warning us here against making a pretense of the Christian life having an outward show of Christianity while inwardly being spiritually dead. In the previous chapter, Jesus has addressed the Pharisees' hypocrisy, and he's pulled no punches. If you've got your Bibles open, just look back to 11 at verse 39. Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house, and then he kind of lays into him. The Lord said to him, now then, you Pharise uh, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. He's saying that the Pharisees are guilty of being more concerned about their external image than inward reality. More concerned about appearing spiritual than actually being spiritual. It's all a show. Verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. 
That's what they really care about, receiving the admiration and respect of other people. And Jesus says at the beginning of chapter 12, we need to guard against the same thing. We need to guard against hypocrisy, against play acting. He says it's like yeast. You know, let a little bit into your life and there's a great danger it will spread and grow. The way that we guard against it is by remembering that it is completely futile. Hypocrisy, play acting, putting on a show, it's completely futile. uh, Because of what he says in verses 2 and 3. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Uh, We might be able to hide the inward reality of our hearts from other people. We might think that what we do in private is unseen and we can hide it away and we can present a glittering image to the world. But how foolish. Do we really think that God can't see, that God doesn't know? Our God sees into every hotel room, every bar, every home. He knows every website we've visited. He knows every word we've spoken behind someone's back. And more than that, verses 2 and 3 speak about the future day of judgment when everything will be revealed. The true reality of our lives will be seen. Nothing hidden that will not be made known. Those hidden sins, those things done in the dark, in secret, that all be exposed. And so can you see hypocrisy is futile. Jesus is saying, let the knowledge of that certain future disclosure guard you now against making a pretense of the Christian life. Fear the Lord. Let his eyes have more influence than the eyes of other people. Do you know what I mean? Let the fact that God sees you in public and in private control your behavior more than what other people see of you or think of you. These verses pose a really searching question, for me at least, uh, maybe for you. I think they pose this question, what do we really care about? Do we care more about people thinking that we're godly or actually being godly? It seems crazy that we could go for the first rather than the second, and yet I guess I'm not the only one. You know, do I care more about people thinking I'm a faithful, successful pastor or actually being a faithful pastor in the eyes of God? What will this mean for us? Well, a great application question to ask in any passage is, if I really believed this, how would it affect my life? If I really believed this, How would it affect my life? Two quick things. I'm sure you can think of more. Uh, For me, I'd spend more time in confession. If I really believed God sees the secrets of my heart, well, I'd need to spend more time confessing my sin, turning to him in repentance, seeking his forgiveness and his sanctifying work. Secondly, I'd give more attention to my private Christian life. 
You know, Jesus speaks about this same thing in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the street corners to be seen by other people. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think if I really believed this, I'd care as much about obeying God in private as I do in public. So that's point one. If you fear the Lord, if God is real to you and big and present in your life, then you'll put away play acting. Secondly, you will confess Christ courageously. This is verses 4 to 12. I think that these verses are primarily concerned with our public confession of Christ. Just look down to verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And verse 11, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. What is the thing that hinders your witness to Jesus the most? Your public confession. Um, what is it that hinders that more than anything else? I wonder what you'd say. I reckon the answer for most of us is fear. Fear of what people think of us, fear of what people might say of us, fear of rejection, fear of ridicule. Other things as well, I'm sure, but I know for me this is the main one, fear. Jesus says, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Jesus is really realistic here about the cost of publicly standing with him. You know, for almost all of his disciples, it meant death. It meant being killed. Jesus says in John 15, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You know, we need to remember we follow a crucified Lord. So where did we get the idea we could do that and not face hardship and suffering and persecution? Uh, but Jesus is saying in verse 4, don't be afraid because all they can do is kill you. They can kill the body, but after that they can't do any more. In fact, of course, if you're killed for following Jesus, that is good for you because you go straight to be with him in glory. But don't be afraid of them. Rather, verse 5, I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, we need here to make a distinction between denying Jesus and disowning Jesus. Uh, Peter denied Jesus. He was a true follower of Jesus, but he was weak and cowardly, and he denied Jesus three times. And then he was forgiven and restored. All followers of Jesus will deny him at one time or another. But to disown Jesus 
is to reject him completely. And I think the real warning in these verses is to not let your fear of others prevent you from committing your life to Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, and if you're a true follower, that will mean public confession, public, uh, being public about the fact. If you follow me, you may well be killed. You'll certainly face rejection and ridicule. But Jesus is saying, don't let that put you off. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but after that do no more. Fear the one who can throw you into hell, because that is the alternative. If you decide not to follow me, if you reject me because of fear, if you disown me before others, then I will disown you before the angels of God. This, this is what the end of verse 10 is talking about as well, where he says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Uh, in summary, what he's saying here is, if you reject the Holy Spirit's witness that Jesus really is the Messiah, the promised Savior King, well, you're rejecting the only means of forgiveness for your sin. And so you will be unforgiven. This is a strong warning, isn't it? And I need to say, if you're someone here today who is putting off surrendering your life to Jesus, making that decision to follow him, well, you need to hear what Jesus says. You are in danger. But while there's a strong warning, these verses also contain a wonderful encouragement. Encouragement for us to confess Christ publicly and courageously. Look again at verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. That is a great deal. You know, all we have to do is publicly acknowledge Jesus. And when you think about it, that shouldn't be a hard thing to do because Jesus is amazing. You know, he is worthy of all our praise and honor and every accolade we could throw at him. But in return, we're told Jesus himself, the Son of Man, will acknowledge us before the angels of God. It's speaking again about the day of judgment. And it's saying, on that day, if we've stood publicly with Jesus, nailed our colors to the mast, then he will personally publicly acknowledge us. Imagine it. Imagine the multitude gathered around the throne of God and Jesus publicly pointing you out, saying, Din, he's mine. Leanne, she's one of my true followers. Isaac, he didn't shrink from standing publicly for me. Christine, everyone, I want you to meet Christine. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you fear the Lord, if the reality of God is live and present in you, if the reality of that future day resonates in your heart, well, then you'll confess Christ courageously, won't you? 
and look briefly at three additional encouragements in these verses. Verse 6, we're told, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. As we've said, following Jesus will mean hardship. Standing publicly for Jesus will bring us into the firing line. But you don't need to be afraid. The God who is invested in the fate of every sparrow will see that no harm can touch you unless he allows it. You cannot lose a single hair of your head without his sovereign say-so. He cares for you more than you can imagine. You are worth so much to him, he was willing to send his son to die in your place. He will never forget you. He will never abandon you. Great encouragement. Then verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Often we read on to the next bit and get confused about speaking against the Holy Spirit. But that's an encouragement, isn't it? The beginning of verse 10. Like Peter, we will all deny Jesus. But like Peter, Jesus will forgive us and restore us. We all fail in our standing with Jesus publicly. But no, there's forgiveness at the cross. And then look at verse 11. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, who had denied Jesus and been restored, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he stands up publicly and fearlessly and proclaims the Lordship of Christ in the center of Jerusalem. Later in Acts, he tells the Jewish leaders he can't stop speaking about Jesus, even if that means imprisonment, even if that means death. Now, firstly, 11 and 12 are a promise to the apostles. But all of us, every Christian, has been filled with the same Holy Spirit to enable and empower our witness. Great encouragements. So let's ask the same application question. If I really believed this, how would my life be different? Well, I'd be less afraid of what people think of me, what they might do to me. I'd be more concerned about hell and those I know who face it. And I'd be more courageous in speaking of Jesus publicly. Uh, we're in the season of Lent. Began on Wednesday. That was Ash Wednesday. Uh, it's a season leading up to Easter and traditionally a, a time for people to remember and explore their baptism and their baptism vows. So I'm going to finish with these words from uh, the Anglican baptism service. Words that are said uh, of the person baptized. I say these as a, a prayer and a commissioning of all of us. Live as disciples of Christ. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Confess Christ crucified. Proclaim his resurrection. Look for his coming 
in glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these searching words. We pray that you would work in us, that these words would bear fruit in our lives, that we would be those who fear the Lord above all else, that the reality of God would be real to us, would be alive and fresh and present, the dominant influence in our lives, and that that would mean that we are people who guard closely against any hypocrisy, any making a pretense of our Christian lives. And we pray that it would mean that we are those who confess Christ courageously. Fill us, we pray, afresh with your Spirit to enable and empower us to do that. For Jesus' sake, amen.